What the hell do you do that for? It's like a diary. They hide it. But actually they want someone to see it. That's what I do. Concealment, on display, flip sides of the same coin. This way they know that someone's seen it. That's what it's all about. Interrupting someone's life. Making them see all the things that they took for granted. Good morning, good evening, good night, and welcome to the all new Midnight Movie Club. Here we go with another episode of the Midnight Movie Club. I'm your host, Lester Bro. Thank you for joining the club. Now, if you're a new member to the club, you're just not joining the podcast, you're just not hearing about it, one thing you should know is this is always, always going to contain spoilers. I'm not, I'm not here to protect your heart, so if you hear a movie that you like coming up or, or you haven't seen it yet, if I mention it, more than likely I may end up spoiling it. I don't want to have to go through the time of telling y'all this thing going to get spoiled. Also, if we talk about it, it's going to be in the notes. So if you're curious before you even get through this thing, look at the show notes and find out if we're talking about one of your movies that you're planning to watch that we probably are going to spoil. This is a solo episode, this episode. So I'm here by myself just uh, uh, chit-chatting. One thing uh, I do want to say is uh, I've been reading some unselling news I saw that uh, the Batgirl is being cancelled Batgirl film is being cancelled I feel like there is kind of a missed opportunity now this is being cancelled due to the consolidation or merger of Discovery and Warner Brothers that became this whole thing that is changing and shifting what we love what we loved about the HBO Max situation this is a part of that. The HBO Max uh, uh, a streaming platform that just boomed over the COVID and the pandemic where really it kind of helped us kind of really enjoy the pandemic. For real. Not enjoy the pandemic, but you know, the lockdowns and everything that came with that. Like, we was able to just be, just have some entertainment. So you had to subscribe to it and everything, but you was getting some of the one, you getting an amazing backlog of documentary, amazing backlog of backlog of comedy specials. Uh, but you just got all these movies that you typically would see in theater right at home. Right at home. And I wanna I wanna I wanna speak to that. I wanna speak to that here shortly. But Batgirl, amongst projects that had been canceled due to the Merger. Now it's been rumored either way that it was either the merger that uh, caused an issue or that it was just bad. There was a lot of report that the the Batgirl uh, film was just terrible and in, in the early screening. So that's a part of why that counts. No one ever knows, but I'm sure at some point, if there's enough fanfare behind it, if it's enough rattling of the cages. We might get a bad girl film. Had Michael Keaton in it. Uh, I forget who else was in. It. I just know Michael Keaton was in it, and some some nice stars. I mean, they they said that it was a pretty hefty, roughly hundred million dollar budgeted film. So to get rid of Batgirl is kind of like a big deal. That's a that's that's a big IP to to just lose 
I mean, at, at the end of the day, why I feel like it's an opportunity miss for the simple fact that there's not like Batgirl hasn't been represent, represented in the film. Now you got them on the TV shows. Uh, you see them in different ways on the t- on the TV shows and um, uh, in ways, you know, uh, Nolan's Batman or Dark Knight. Uh, gave us a whole glimpse of what the idea of something like that could look like in terms of the beautiful thing like about those DC films in my opinion is that they they I always say they were adult they were they they were comic book films for adults because they never really leaned hard and some of them some of them did but they never really leaned hard into like we're making a superhero film more often than not it was just like a grown up adult film, not adult film in that way, but adult. Um, I don't know the word adult. Uh, yeah. Adult stories um, for, you know, comic books for adults, but adult stories where it wasn't really about like, let's blow everything up. There was a degree of hum- humanity to the villain. There was something about the villain that was enduring where you just connected to the villain just as much as you want Batman to save him. You kind of sympathize with the villain. And that was all right. That was cool to me. That was cool to me. And so with Batgirl, who knew who knew what villain we was going to get from that DC Gotham world um, that we would connect to and try to figure out. And then you get Batgirl, which is is you know good for for young girls and 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 just you know just to show that the, the the have that women representation on film always is good, especially when you can do it theatrically and put a bunch of money behind it and it makes a bunch of money back. Now they, again, they say one of the rumors is that it was just terribly bad. But at the same time, one thing that is always struck me is that at the end of the day, it's never really about the movie being good or bad. It never really is. If anything, it's usually mostly about how well you promote it, how well you get it out there. And then if that thing can now make up the money. Because if it can make the money up, it's a success, good or bad. How many films are just horrendously bad that come out? Um, one that many people say was bad and think is bad is um, is uh, Texas Chainsaw. When Texas Chainsaw came out on Netflix, the newest one, I'm not sure how much it costs. There's a lot of advertising behind it. There's a lot of things that came with it. And it was a, ter- uh, by most people, it was a terrible film. Even for a horror standard, it was a big IP. Now, when you think about it being a big IP and then you come back to Batman or Batgirl, it really doesn't make sense to, 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 to stop what was happening there. You could still put it out. And if, if the chips fall where they fall, but more than likely it would have made some money. I don't know, long-term, you know, who knows? But a lot of these films are just about opening weekend and then what it can do for the next three weeks or a month. If you make a sizable amount, your big IP like the DCU, it, it seems like it, it could miss. It seems like it could miss. So it doesn't, when it's, a, when it's, when it's you know, even they got the Flash out there, when it's these kind of, the Flash is a little different, a little off-beaten path story, Batgirl, Batman, Gotham is a whole 
different thing. You can make anything in God. You can make a fucking Commissioner Gordon film. And because it's set in Gotham and it's in there in the D in the Batman Gotham universe, it goes a little bit farther than like your average piece. But this 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 these this Warner Brother Discovery merger thing where they're trying to make an you know they're trying to make a big run off of uh off of uh what off of uh getting people back into theaters the whole point of HBO Max when that was such you know it was doing what it was doing the whole thing about HBO Max was the fact that uh, they want to get those streaming numbers, those subscribers up. And now we're in this place where it's not about the subscribers as much as it is about the uh, 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 getting back to that old school theater experience, which is a bad time because monkeypox is a thing. Monkeypox is a real thing. And different from COVID, all you got to do is be in the area of pokey, uh, monkeypox juice, <laughs> cooties. Whatever. Someone touches something and there's something left behind. So really, we about to really find out how open we are if we back to where we were um, in that stage where we were still frightful about COVID. Do we really want to be in the theaters? And I don't know. I'm okay with going to the theaters. I went to a theater to see uh, 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 Nope, uh, to see that film, and thoroughly enjoyed it in the theater but i didn't go for like the big imax experience i just kind of went to to see the damn movie you know keep it keep it keep it keep it silly keep it simple you know and just kind of be out in the theater again i think i've probably been in the theater a few times but but this leaves the question for me i think theaters are dead i've been feeling this way for quite some time i really I think it's been done. I, I think it's been dead and it's been marching its way f that way for a, a while. Like when you think about it, the theater experience is such like you, I think COVID helped COVID helped COVID helped COVID helped something that was already somewhat troubled, uh, for a while anyway. Um, if you go to a theater, if you go to a theater, and you think about how much it costs. It's not a cheap experience, especially when you just let me stream it. You let me stream great films for like a really long time. And we're just kind of at this place where I would rather watch certain films at home. Now, granted, as a person who makes film, who's like in filmmaking, who makes video content, um, commercial content, all this type of stuff. Nothing beats the sanity of sanctity of my home. <laughs> like if I, if you tell me I can watch like some regular, uh, not regular movie, but just not, you know, it's not a big blockbuster. I don't really need Dolby surround sound. I don't really need to be crazy. Can I just lay back, watch a movie on my TV at home the way I want to watch it? You give me that. Why do I need to go to a theater? Why should I be in a theater? The only reason, only reason I should go to a theater is for like this big movie experience. And at the end of the day, I'm not even really enjoying it. Cause you, you, everybody is, 
everybody in the theater is thinking about being out of the theater. You know, the the there is no real true experience to being in the theater anymore. Like the popcorn, the drink, all this type of stuff is way overpriced. And Grant, that's the way the theaters make money. They they essentially are not making money on putting the, the movie in there. They just hope that if enough people come to the movie theater, they'll buy concessions and we can make some money back. But it ain't like it's just this great place to be. I don't care what anybody say. I don't care for every movie snob, for every pretentious like critic. If you said to all of them, we will give you a screening copy of every movie that's going to come out from here to the end of 2023. I guarantee most of them have no problem with taking those screeners and watching them at home. You give them a link that they can get to their TV if they got a nice situation, nice to decent situation, they're going to take that over being a theater because it's just too much. Like a, a, a genuine, and it's unpredictable. You never know if you're going to get like the 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 babies crying or the person that's talking or the, someone who laughed too much or someone who want to ask too many questions and all this type of stuff. It's too unpredictable. Like, even me, I like a small theater. Like, I like, like, uh, one in town has a director suite. So there's no reason, like, when I could just go stream it. If you give me the, this opportunity to stream, have a pillow, have my own drink, go, go fix food, whatever, the ability to pause and come back to it, which... You know, I understand why that may not be like the most uh, pleasant thing for an experience. But a Christopher Nolan film, you get captions like you get to curate your own experience. That's the beauty of watching film at home of streaming is I get to curate my own experience. You don't get that at the theater. Now, my caveat to this is. The the way theater can survive, movie theaters can survive, is to abandon the whole, like, we need to have the new movie thing. This is free. I'm giving this away right now. This is this is how they can, can support this whole situation, get back bustling, probably get butts and seats again. All they have to do, simple shit, is start curating movie events. Because you don't hear about movie events. And all that is is like the new Star Wars is coming out. All they have to do is say, hey, Star Wars come out on Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What we're going to do is play all the Star Wars on the main theaters, on the main screens. We're going to run the Star Wars. So y'all come out, dress up, make it a thing, and enjoy Star Wars in order. You know, you they can figure it out. And then at midnight on Thursday, we're going to have an exclusive, you know, uh, the exclusive premiere of the new Star Wars. You got to make it popcorn event again. And that may not always mean playing the newest joint. 
Because I'm going to watch that at home. I want to watch it at home. But if it's a big blockbuster, sure. Or you just got to make it an event again. Because the, the places who, strive, who thrived during the pandemic, when all this was going on, when we got back to streaming, was the drive-in. And the reason the drive-in thrived, one, people wanted to see movies. Two, I can curate my experience in my car. I don't have to worry about no one else. The only thing I had to figure out was parking. Like that was the only thing, but I'm curate. I got my people with me. I I, I picked up uh, takeout. Like I got everything I want in this little domain. The same. It's like my living room. That's how it was. That's how this whole thing was during the pandemic. If we got there again, like I think theaters can survive. But right now, it can't. You you putting regular movies in the theater? Maybe I want to watch it. Maybe I'll wait. Especially when you got streaming and if you look at the numbers and the experience, most of the time people was going to the theater just so they could get out the house. Now we know I can enjoy this at the house as an option. It's like hybrid work for jobs. Once you showed me that I did not need to be in that building, once you showed me I didn't need to be in the building, why am I in the building? Once you showed me that a lot of these uh uh things could have been emails why are you still making meetings why are we still doing stuff the old way when we've evolved we showed you we could do it and i think theater is dying and dead because it's trying to go back to what it was and that just doesn't work that's for snobs that's for uppity pretentious people you may see it with like horror films that may be a cool way to do it but really if you think about it you really enjoy a horror movie at home because it's the idea that the thing that's happened on screen could happen in my could be happening right now you get the tuck you get the tuck up you get the you get to put put a blanket on like you you just can curate a better experience at home. Now, granted, I might it 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 does it's a slap in the face to the industry, the hard workers that put these movies together. At the end of the day, it's kind of like binge watching. Like all these people put all this work into making sure the sound is good, to make sure the experience you know works on a movie theater screen. You got people making DCPs. It's like everything that go with making this like what it's supposed to be. It's a whole team of people making that happen. I'm not saying stop putting movies in theaters. I'm just saying theaters are dead if it continues to operate the way it operates currently. It could it could, it could be better. And it's really that it to me is that simple. It's really that simple. Uh, let me see what 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 else could happen. Uh, uh, anything that's a series, anything that's a franchise, Marvel, uh, uh, uh horror movies. It's so many because here's the other part why it can work. This to me, this is this is definitely a reason why it could work because in ways studios are lazy. They're not they're not making original content. They want to find a franchise that they can keep making and keep coming up with sequels and prequels and part threes, fours, fives and universes and all this. So you always going to have an opportunity to continue to run several um, film franchises, movie franchises and films in the theater where someone may say, hey, you know what? Uh, the new Predator, the Prey movie is out which I was going to be watching, but I said I got to record the podcast. But the new Prey is out. 
I want to watch Predator, Predators, and Predator 2 and everything that come with the whole series. You're going to always have an opportunity to do that. And if not, you just got to hope another movie's marketing budget is cool enough that it can offset. It can offset. Granted, the money. See, I never, I personally have never been into like the whole, um, let me fix that. There we go. I've never really even been into the whole like this movie made this much money. Cause it's 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 bullshit in the end of the day. Now, is this I might be going against the grain on this, but it's bullshit in the end of the day. If you really want to know how successful a film film is, how many people saw it, count the ticket number, not not the not the box office price. That's that's politics. I don't even know why they release that type of stuff. That's politics. That's how you say, oh, this movie made fifty million dollars. Well, hell, the tickets are damn near. Um, $30 depending on what time you go where you go so it's always making all this money but how many people saw it how many people saw it so you put a marketing budget together that say we're going to spend $10 million you just hoping you can make $10 million and $1 at the end of the day which don't matter to average viewer so who cares uh, but this is how theater can come back. I think how theater can survive more so than come back. How theater can survive is by no longer uh, trying to feed this beast of new film and put movies in the theater and all this type of stuff. Curate the movie experience. Change the music movie experience. Make it more broader. Appeal to the way we consume. And you back in there. You can survive because at the end of the day, it's always going to be someone that say, I'd rather watch that in the theater. But don't make me feel like I'm missing something because then I'll wait. And I always said this this was bound to happen when um when um Seth Seth, I think Seth McFarlane, not Seth McFarlane, Seth son, I can't think his name. Man, my man from Pineapple Express. He um when that Chinese movie, that Korean movie came out, with him and um, James Franco, Franco, whatever the hell you call it, motherfucker. When him and James Franco, that movie got leaked. Um, I think that was a Sony leak or whatever, and it was all these movies came out, but that was one. And so to beat that, what they did was put it on streaming. And this, and that, at that time, it was streaming through the um, phone, so you could go like Google Play, buy the movie. Or and you could stream it on TV. So it ended up skipping theater. It may have still went to the theater, but it skipped theater. And um and it still was profitable. It still made money. It still did well. At that that was the moment that I knew things changed. Matter of fact, I've been all about this. Here's another one. I get this, I get this for free. Because movie theaters are dead. So um I would be willing. So Warner Brothers, for instance. If they said, look, for $100 a month, that may be too high, but if they said something like this, $100 a month, every movie we come out with, you that come out that year, you'll be able to watch for free. Not for, you know, subscription based. Actually, here, I'm, I'm, I'll give it this. If they said, for $100 a month, you'll watch every movie is free. Every movie that we come out with on our schedule, through the fucking subscription. The only caveat is you won't watch it opening week. You have to wait the next week. 
How many people bought it? I think the same people who would rather watch it in theaters going to watch it in the theater. I don't think they're going to be missing too many bodies um, if they did that and said it. The new releases, you still have to wait a week on. And then we'll only have the new releases. And then when you watch the new release, you only get like three streams of it. Some crazy like that. They say something like that, you know, just to kind of figure out a way to to get people in the theater still who miss it. I don't think you're going to lose too much. I think it'd be worth the try to just say, Let's do it that way. Lionsgate, Warner Brothers, A24, all of them do something like this. I think people be with it. You know, the 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 people who who into like want to see new films, which we already did with fucking HBO Max. We did it. We know it works. <laughs> it can happen. People want to do it. And it was done. So there you go on that. Here's something that I found myself into. And I thank everybody for joining the club. And if you are listening, so this particular episode, let me say this right now because I already know what's happening. Um, if you are on Spotify, you'll be able to exclusively watch most of this episode. It's going to be a timestamp. We didn't record the whole episode uh, on video, but you'll be able to watch most of the episode on Spotify uh, exclusively. And you'll be able to watch it on YouTube and our Facebook page at Arrow Films, A-R-O-W-E Films. You can also follow me on Arrow Films on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that. All right. So, um, and we got some cool episodes coming up, but yeah, uh, watch it, watch it, watch it. Now don't be alarmed. Okay. If you're on Spotify, you might not be watching none of this episode until the video part starts. So keep that in mind. That's how we plan this. Everything I'm going to be full video. Some of it will. And uh, yeah. So here, look. This one thing that happened to me over the weekend is uh, I fell into a YouTube rabbit hole. I, found, I, I fell into a YouTube rabbit hole. Every now and again, man, I get on YouTube and I'll get into like wanting to Wanting to, uh, uh, you know, get into think pieces. Why do, you know, filmmakers do things that they do? I watch roundtables. Uh, Hollywood Reporter does really great filmmaker roundtables. Um, and I get into those. And sometimes I listen to interviews. And I found myself in this damn Chris Nolan rabbit hole of filmmaking. And think pieces and thought pieces. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. I'll tell you why. Because you can get in this, you get to watch and you start listening to like the artist that is a director. You pick one. Uh, Scorsese. Uh, Spike Lee. Uh, Jordan Peele, you know, just to name some, and, I, and Tarantino, all of them, whatever. You get into this whole thing, and people be like, why Nolan is the best at whatever the fuck it is? And I watch it, man. I be watching like 20 minutes of it. Each one. Like, I ain't saying 20 minutes all together. Each 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 7 minutes, 9 minutes, 30 minutes. Interviews. Think pieces, thought pieces, they start breaking down Interstellar. They start breaking down uh, Memento. They start talking about how he made his first film for $3,000. Just going to this whole thing of how he did stuff. 
And I get into it and I really enjoy it. Then after a while, you know, I start to watch with my pinky in the air. I'm just like, yes, you know, uh, Nolan did this because he was thinking about his his life as a child. And as a child, he knew like he could never afford film school. So what he would have to do is mow grass to make money to do favors for someone who would let him borrow a camera. And you get into this whole thing of uh like i said pretentiousness where you start you start f- making them you know i think this one the last one i watched was like you could you could you too could make a film for three thousand and be an auteur like chris nolan are you the next chris nolan and then i'm sitting up like am i the next chris nolan the answer is no the answer is no obviously obviously the answer is no but the issue is to me is that a lot of people and I've been in these uh, circles. I've been in these rooms. I've been a part of these discussions where other filmmakers get take, take themselves a little too seriously. Like I even, I've sat in interviews. I've interviewed people who like take it a little too seriously, which is fine. I'm not even knocking, taking it seriously. And that's okay to, 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 to feel like you have the auteur passion that you can rifle off directors' names and cinematographers and sound designers and all these parts and pieces that make up a good crew for film and under underappreciated talent from the editors all the way down to grip all the way to uh, set design, the cinematographers and things like this. And, and that's okay. You can have those conversations, but there's a point of this, like when you're in this amateur level and you're in this kind of aspiring level where it's a little much. It's a little much. It's too much to me to be thinking like that, to be thinking in a way where you take the fun out of it. You you're forcing the art into the artwork. The beautiful thing about art is that when you're making the art, you're making art like you're making it. You're consumed. You're doing it. And when I was watching the videos and I was having this crisis within myself, of, am I Christopher? Can I never be as good as Christopher Nolan? Chris another one of the greatest people of all time. He made Dark Knight. Made Dark Knight Rises. Made, he, he, he made comic book movies serious. So he made him a bunch of money so he can make some of this bullshit he be making sometimes what, that you can't hear. And, like, I love Chris Nolan. I really do. He's, like, one of those guys to me. I really do love Chris, Chris, Christopher Nolan's work. But at the end of the day, just... You know, I make I make art too. I was an artist. I studied art. I went to high school for art, and I continue to make art to this day. And I'm talking about paintings and stuff like this. And I remember telling a friend of mine, "This is one thing that people don't know about artists. You go to a museum, you go to a show in a gallery, and you always see, you know, people not touching the art, not you know, respectfully, not saying that they want to touch it, but they're not touching the art. It's a real precious way that we treat art. I'm sitting in my living room right now and I can tell you, I have art just leaned across leaned against the wall. Just leaned against the wall. I throw it to the side. I don't really fucking treat it like this precious piece like we do in galleries and things like that. And that's normal. That's normal to see. Like you see that quite a bit where people are 
are treating the art better than the artists treat the art. They think more about the art than the artist thinks about the art. Um, and in ways, um, as an artist, you do the baggage of your life you put into to the work. The baggage of your life you always put into the work. It just happens subconsciously. It's in the back of your mind. You're not thinking about it. You're just doing. You're just creating. You're just making. But other people may be able to recognize that. Oh, this is he did this because of this. He did that because of that. Uh, he grew up in the slums. That's why you always see slums in his work. And I can also tell you that we are practiced in bullshitting. We are practiced in bullshitting because no one wants to hear the artist go on stage or get in front of a crew or or, or speak to a group and say, yeah, I just did it because I thought it was dope. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to, 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 they want to think that there was so much more to it. I could pull out any piece of artwork in my home and talk about it for 20, 30 minutes. Um, but a lot of it was that I just thought it was dope. I just thought this would be a cool thing to do. I came up, you come up with an idea and a concept and you're serious about it. There is a self-pretentiousness. You do take yourself serious about the themes, the concepts and, 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 and stylistic choices that you make. But in general, some of the times the people, when they talk about the art that you make, they will talk about a line stroke. They will talk about a cut. They will talk about an edit, a color choice and act as if or think as if that we put a lot of thought of it and we really didn't it was just one of those things like huh you saw and thought damn this was dope i remember um we, we me and andrew clayton my cinematographer for strangers in a diner um he was asking me about framing um and the framing you will see i think you may even see it in some of the pictures uh from the set like and that was like you it was simple. It was like, do you want like this or one like that? And I was like, I don't know, man. You know, we was looking at the light. Then they clicked the light. They hit the light. And when I saw the light, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're doing. Let's do that. Let's do that. And it was that simple. It wasn't a whole lot of thought into it. But when you see it on screen, you do see this this balance of symmetry and 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 leading lines and all these things that come with making the art the art. But it wasn't a lot of thought. It was just quickly in that moment, I saw it, and boom, that was it. Now, granted, again, what you create is the baggage of your life experience. And so everything that I've been through, everything that I've seen, everything that I consume, for me, when I saw it, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. And I got that without a lot of thought. But I'm not manufacturing my art. I'm not going into it with this deep level of architecture. Um, I don't believe most artists do. And the issue with the YouTube rabbit hole, and when you go down and dig and you go deep and deep, I do commercial work. I make commercial commercial production. And um, on different levels, on different scales, I've done it in many different scenarios. And... Uh, we're talking from TV to internet to hype video, all of it. And what happens is what I've noticed as I've developed and I got into more of the commercial side of it, more of the what it takes and what you need to do to get on TV. 
properly, what what people miss, what young filmmakers and video creators miss, is that you're still talking to the audience. You're still talking to a audience, and that audience isn't you. Sometimes it is. When you're making your passion piece and it's something that you care about, it is. It can be about the artist, the audience of you. But most of the time, it's not. And you go on to YouTube and you see the Daniel Schiffers and the Peter McKinnons and uh, you, there's a list of YouTubers, YouTube educators and, and people who want you to make epic this and epic that and slow-mo this and slow-mo that. If you got a drone, get a drone. You got a gimbal, get a gimbal. If you got the, At the end of the day, it's about the audience. Um, I was just talking to someone today about how... You can make the coolest video. You make the coolest looking video. But if you're not feeding the right audience, the video dies every single time. If you've been creating content and video that is about being um, epic and someone hands you a project that's about a nursing home, how do you make a nursing home epic? Why are you doing dramatic slow motion and big reveals and big transition and big pops, booms, bangs to an audience of 80-year-olds who just want to see the screen? They want to relate to what they see on the screen. They want to feel what they see on the screen. A lot of the YouTube aspect misses the part of the emotion, the feeling that people have, the visceral reaction that people have as when they consume content, they're making video for other video makers. They're making content for other content creators, but they're not making the thing that the audience that they're meant to serve is wanting. So very often I see um, someone going, uh, we want to, um, we want a commercial that does this, this, is that. And what I do, I go and I go study, research what, what does the industry no- does the industry norm? What does the industry normally do? And where is my competitive advantage? You do a commercial for a restaurant, you got two different kinds. Is it a mom and pop? Sure. But does that mom and pop necessarily need dramatic B-roll looking style things? Or does that mom and pop need to feel like a mom and pop? You got to know who that audience is. Who do they want to serve? Who are you and should you be serving? And so very often people miss that mark. They miss it. And that's the danger of the YouTube rabbit hole. If you go too far as a filmmaker, you start to forget how to make the art. Your natural reaction of what's good and bad and, 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 and what makes you feel, what makes people feel gets lost because you're trying to be Chris Nolan. You're trying to be Tarantino. You're trying to be Scorsese. I'm me. I make, I make what I make. I love a lot. I love Scorsese. I love Hitchcock. Those I love Jordan Peele. I love Spike Lee. But I'm me. 
And so as video makers, as content creators, as filmmakers, as storytellers, and all these different things that we proclaim we are, when you start feeding the YouTube rabbit its lettuce, you get lost and you become what they are. Good to know technique. Good to know um, color theory. It's good to know a lot of things, but what is your visceral reaction that makes you make the thing that you make? What story are you telling? And tell it. Because you are the baggage of your life experience, and that's what should show out, show in the work that you make, the stories you tell, and the videos you create. With that said, I'm about to get out of here and go watch Pray, because I've been wanting to watch that. And uh, maybe next week we talk about it. Let me see if I can find somebody who's talked about it. Actually, next week we're going to run an interview. But I'm going to find someone who wants to talk about Pray, and we're going to spoil the fuck out of it. Uh, we're going to spoil the fuck out of it. Follow me on um, all the social medias, arrowfilms.com. Thank you for joining the Midnight Movie Club. Oh, hold on, hold on, I want to do that different. Here we go. Thank you for listening to the Midnight, to the all-new Midnight Movie Club. Until next time, thanks for joining the club. Uh-huh.